As the songwriter reminds us, everybody plays the fool sometimes. Well, today we're going to be talking about a man named Esau, the brother of Jacob and also the son of Isaac, who was born first and did just about everything he could possibly do wrong. And as we study that, we're going to find out that sometimes you and I can play the fool as well. Welcome to the audio study guide of Northwood Baptist Church Life Connection Groups. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist. It's great to have you along if you're listening and just happen to stumble on our podcast and enjoy it. Why don't you spread the word about how good it is to study the Word of God together. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25, the last part from verses 19 to 37. So go ahead and get your Bibles and turn there. And we'll get started really quick. Well, everybody does do foolish things. Uh, Pastor Tommy talked about people that are foolish that go to a ball game and spend all that money and get roaring drunk and don't remember a single thing. How foolish is that to spend thousands of dollars and not being able to remove, remember anything? Well, that happens to a lot of us, maybe not with the alcohol part, but we, have, uh, we can be and we have been foolish people. And the world is really full of foolish people in it, throwing their lives away. In Genesis 25, we have the description of a dysfunctional family, a mom and a dad who, who chose favorites. They had a feud between two brothers. Neither are the epitome of godliness. Esau doesn't seem to care at all about the things of God. Jacob seems to know the significance of the family, and he, he wants the blessing. Esau could care less and was willing to trade whatever it took to, to get his desires fulfilled, even if it meant trading out what the family was about. Um, Esau is, is, is the fool in this story, and he did everything, that he, like I said earlier, that he could possibly do wrong. And as we read the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we find out a little bit about Esau. Remember what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 16 says, and make sure that there aren't any immoral or irreverent person, and when this name comes up, Remember, immoral and irreverent, like Esau, who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. And yet we have, on the other side, just the chapter before that, in Hebrews chapter 11, we list Jacob as a co-heir of the promise of faith. So the question is, what, what made Esau so foolish? Esau is like many in this world who, who have rejected the promise of God. And what we need to do, we need to take this as a warning to each of us. This needs to be something that we pin up on our on our mirror to remind us that we don't need to do these three fool have these three foolish decisions. Let's go over the story real quick, and then we'll get into it. Abraham died. Isaac is now the hope of the promise, and the promise was that the nation would bless the world. So the pressure is on for Isaac. He so what he does is he marries Rebecca at forty years old. We learned that last week. No time to waste. Needed to have children immediately, but he didn't. Ishmael did, and he had lots of kids. Now, so we have Isaac's frustration. Uh, believe it or not, this is like history repeating itself. Remember the stories of his own mother's barrenness, and now his own wife can't have children. So no children, no nation, right? No great nation. So he pleads with God for children, and, and at 60 years old, his wife finally gives birth. And not just one child, but two. 
And so during the pregnancy, Rebecca could feel the two boys struggling. She knew that this was going to happen and find out later that there would be two nations who were in her womb. And by the way, this is the Edomites, one of Israel's bitter enemies who would come from Esau. From the younger son would come a greater nation than that of the first son. Now, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. The older son, in ancient Near Eastern understanding, was supposed to be the one that got everything. He got the inheritance, the promise, the great blessing, but that's not the case. So what God does, though, is God does the unexpected. Isn't that just like God? He does what we don't expect. And he doesn't choose the older. He chooses the younger to be the father of this nation. God does what is unexpected every time. So at birth, Jacob held on to Esau's feet. I don't know. Seems like he was from the, even from the womb, was trying to beat Esau out of the womb. So he's grabbing on, trying to pull him back out, pull him back in, or, or beat him out. I don't know. But it was just a sign of the things to come. Jacob would always be grabbing heels, tripping people up. He was always trying to get ahead. He was always trying to get his way. We find out that Esau was born full of red hair like a fur coat. And if you can imagine, as Pastor Tommy reminded us, that uh, she basically gave birth to a Wookiee. So he grew up to be a skillful hunter. Esau was a man's man. Uh, you can imagine he was uh, he, he would have been the guy that would have been driving uh, one of those tilted pickups, and he would have had the deer strapped to the front of his hood, and he would have had his shotguns in the, in the back window, and uh, he would have had the, 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 all the things that you know a pickup truck would have. He would have been the redneck of the day. So he's obviously, because he's a man's man, he's Isaac's favorite son. So we have Jacob, who now is the opposite of what he saw. He's the mama's boy. He reads. He, he wore pastoral, pastel colors. He you know, has a man bun. He didn't drive a truck. He, he drove a, uh, a Mini Cooper, as Pastor Tommy said. But anyway, so Rebecca just falls in love with Jacob. And she just dotes all over him because she knew that God had told her that Jacob was the child of the promise, the child who would become a great nation. Did she tell Jacob? Did she tell Isaac? Did she tell Esau? Well, if she told Isaac, he didn't believe her, convinced that Esau was the child of the promise. Did she tell Jacob? Still, we don't know. Uh, Jacob wanted, I can tell you this, though, Jacob wanted the privilege of being the firstborn. So he wanted that birthright, and he received a double portion of the inheritance. And that's how he did. He wanted what was his. And he was going to take, even if it wasn't his, he was going to take it anyway. The firstborn son, the the Again, the ancient Near Eastern model was the firstborn son would take the position of the father when he died. And then from that point on, the whole family would look to him for guidance and leadership. If you ever watch any of these British uh, dramas, especially the ones that took place you know, in pre-World War I type stuff where a lot of the uh, nobility was still in power, you'll see that over and over again. The firstborn takes over and the rest of the family's kind of second place and looks to them for guidance. So getting the birthright meant that Jacob would put himself in a position to receive the promise that had been handed down. So here's Isaac's plan. He knew that Esau's weakness was his appetite. So while he was hunting, Isaac cooked. Now Isaac is hunting too, and what was happening is, is that Esau is his prey. Jacob is, J Jacob's hunting too, excuse me, I should have said. And uh, Esau was Jacob's prey. So when Esau come, comes home for the hunt, he smells this lentil soup. He's starving to death. He asks Jacob for, for, for some of it. He says, sure, you can do it, but here's the deal. you got to give me your birthright. So Esau says, which is not true, he says, I'm about to die. Come on, man. Drama, drama king here. I know he's not a woman, so he's not a drama queen, but a bunch of drama. I'm about to die. What good is a birthright? You know, if I die, I don't have a birthright. What a 
whining and crying. But anyway, it doesn't seem like a man's man to me, but in that situation, he was moaning and groaning that he didn't ha- hadn't had enough to eat. So he just wants his, his stomach filled. That's what it's about. Uh, and so he said, I can't, you know, I can't cash in on my birthright if I'm dead. That's a bad idea. So Jacob's persistent. He said this. He said, well, swear to me that you'll give me your birthright. So Esau swears that he gave him his birthright. So he eats this lentil stew, and, and he's full. And then verse 34 tells us that Esau despised his birthright. He changed from even had this idea or this concept that he would have a birthright to not even wanting it, hating it, not wanting to be a part of the honor of being the firstborn son. Now, before we go too far, Jacob, any better than Esau. But Esau is the one who ultimately is condemned. Why? Because Jacob goes about it the wrong way. But Jacob also knows what's important. Jacob does care for the family line. Esau despised it. He cares about the promise of God, and Esau doesn't. We've all been Jacob. We've wanted the right thing, but what we do is we go about doing it the wrong way. We've all been Esau. We've traded what matters most for what matters now. So let's look at these three foolish questions, and we'll get into the discussion questions. First thing is, the first foolish decision that you need to avoid is don't live for the moment. Let me say that again. First one is don't live for the moment. But that's what we do, isn't it? We typically live for the moment. We even, you know, the cried went out after, especially after a certain movie, uh, Carpe Diem, you know, seize the day, live for the moment. That's existentialism, by the way, for those that are philosophers. That it's about the it's about existing today and now. The lie of the world is that all that matters is the here and now. And that's why existentials live for the day. They don't live for eternity. We're totally called to be something different. We're called for that eternal home. Living for the moment is about the dumbest thing you can do with your life because when you live for the moment, you fail to consider how, you're, how you're in, you are in the moment and how these decisions that end the moment will ultimately affect your future. Uh, some, of, some of the people in your Life Connection group, for instance, they've, they've made a daily choice to reject the God that knows and loves you. Um, I, I wish I could tell you that everybody in your Life Connection group is Christians. And I know that it seems like most of them are. But there are those that have done that. The choices that you make today are going to affect your tomorrow. Um, if you blow off studying as a college student, you're going to pay the price. I had a cousin who did just that. He blew off studying and flunked out. Brilliant person. He did go back and he did get his education, but it took him a while to get back. The choice is to give in to your lust. The choice is to go uh, to the game with your buddies instead of spending time with your wife and kids or disrespecting people who care about you, on and on and on. So what's really foolish, you're so caught up in the moment that you're making choices knowing, you know, that what results in the end is going to be disastrous and you still don't care. So before you make a decision, stop and think about the consequences. How does your decision affect your relationship with God? How does it affect your Christian, you know, your witness, your testimony? Go, you know, we can continually uh, decide that we're going to go the wrong way home. We don't even check the GPS, and we get way off, way off the road. Happened to my daughter. That's how many of us make decisions, and we don't even think. So does what you want in the moment bring honor to God? That's the question. Fools live for the moment, 
fools live as if there is no God. Psalm 14, 1 says it this way. Uh, the, the, uh, the foolish man says there is no God. That's how they make decisions, as if God doesn't matter. Number two foolish decision, and it's this. Don't follow your feelings. There are people every day that follow their feelings. Uh, why do we live for the moment? Because we're driven by what's inside of us, our cravings, our appetites. Our, uh, I think the King James translation puts it, our evil concupiscence. But the whole point is, is that we do things that we should not be doing, and we do them because we want to. James 4 says, what's the source of war and fighting among you? Don't they come from the passions? That's that word, that idea, these unrighteous cravings or desires, the passions that war within you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, be driven by what's inside of you. Now, uh, be driven by who's inside of you, I should say, not what's inside of you. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, somebody in your Life Connection group who's not a follower of Jesus, there's a God who wants to take up residence in your life, and he does want to give them new desires. Let them know that. Some people say, well, maybe you don't follow your feelings, but you surely should follow your heart. Just follow your heart. How many times have we heard that? Yet Jeremiah 17, 9 says that's a foolish thing you can do. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? How about follow your feelings of lust, adultery, and sex sin? Follow those feelings or cravings of wealth and materialism power. Never be satisfied. Follow the anger and broken relationship. Follow loneliness and depression. Believe the lie that no one cares or, or even surround yourself with, or you can choose to surround yourself with people. And this is what Life Connection Group is about, by the way, surrounding yourself with people who can lead you to Christ instead of away from Christ. All right? So what are, what are, what, what are you doing? You following these feelings? You're following these kind of things? Or are you following God? Instead of asking, how do I feel? Ask, what does God say about how I feel? What does he say about lust? What does he say about anger? What does he say about loneliness? What does he say about anxiety and depression? By the way, great opportunity these last two weeks. We, uh, on the podcast, we talk about, uh, this is the uh, uh, Connecting Faith to Life podcast. Um, we talk a lot about anxiety and stress. So those two weeks are really something maybe somebody in your Life Connection group can really connect with. And then third foolish decision that uh, we want to have it our way. So what we need to hold on to is don't have it your way. It's not about us. We're not like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. We're supposed to do it God's way. After all, you know, we think because we've been through whatever that we deserve to have it our way. Work's hard. Life's tough. You know, so much pressure. We deserve guilty pleasures. How many? What is your guilty pleasure? That's on Facebook all the time. Bottom line is you don't deserve it your way because life isn't about you. It's not your story. You've sinned, you've rebelled against the God of all creation, and you deserve the punishment for the way that you treated God. Now, thank God, God in his grace allows us to enjoy the blessings of life, and I don't want to deny what he's done for us, but we don't deserve it. Number two, God always deserves to have it his way. Look at what he has done in Genesis. He took messed up people like Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, and you just keep on naming names, and he works in their lives in such a way to bring about the salvation of the world. Now, later on, we're going to get to Jacob's failures, but in the meantime, God uses them. Uh, Jesus holds the birthright, by the way, and that's why he's a different kind of man. He didn't squander it away. He graciously shared the privilege of his birthright with us. He is the firstborn of all creation, according to Colossians 1.15. Everything belongs to him. 
He is the one who rose from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. The one who is the firstborn of all creation and firstborn from the dead. He says, now I want to share that inheritance with you. We are now called, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, co-heirs with Jesus. That's the plan of God. For your every single person, for you and everyone in your Life Connection group, the plan of God is to bless you through his son, to give you what doesn't belong to you but belongs to him. The most foolish thing you can do with your life is to reject the free gift of God, the gift of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to take a moment just to share the gospel with your Life Connection group, why don't you do that right now? This would be a great spot to do it at the end of your little review. Uh, do that. Okay, so let's talk in, in the discussion questions as we talk, uh, continue in Genesis 25, and we talk about don't be a fool. Uh, let's see, let's use uh, what are the dangers of living like a fool. I know everybody's going to talk about uh, getting in car wrecks and uh, probably uh, failing out of school or all those kind of things. So let them share some of those kind of things. Uh, you might even want to have them read Hebrews 12, verses 16 to 17. Uh, that's more about Esau. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit, obviously, about Esau today. So you might want to get that background out there for them to hear. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 to 17, about, about this immoral and irreverent person. Um, you might want to use number one as well. How, how would you define foolishness? All right, let's jump into the text, Genesis 25, 19 to 21. And uh, as we read this, we'll see that God is doing a work. And uh, it's hard because... <laughs> You've got to be patient for God to do a work. God doesn't do it on our timetable, does he? Here Isaac, verse 20, was 40 years old when he took his wife as Rebekah, uh, his wife Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Pandanaram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. And then listen to verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. All right. Now, what is significant about the promise God made to Rebekah? So here's the promise. His wife, he, the Lord was receptive to um, Isaac's prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. Um, so that's exactly what God does. He does what he promises. The Lord said to her, remember this promise, two nations are in your womb, two peoples will come from you and separated. One, one will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, we don't know. Remember, we talked about that in the, in the discussion, I mean, in the uh, review a minute ago. Uh, we don't know who she told what God promised her here. But we do know that she believed it. And she knew that somehow Jacob had to be the one that was going to be the chosen one. And she, he had to be the one that would take over the family. So this promise uh, comes true because God told Rebecca and Rebecca took care of it. And so that's why we get back this question. Why is it significant? What is significant about the promise God made to Rebecca? And obviously the, the significance is, is that it would be Jacob and not Esau. God chose Jacob and not Esau. Why would God choose Jacob and not Esau? Well, we don't know. I think uh, very possibly the reason, I think, was because Esau hated anything to have to do with his family. That's why he rejected the birthright. He hated it. He hated this idea of somehow that he was a special called person. He just wanted to be that guy that went out and shot, shot his, his deer and his... Uh, uh, you know, fished and all that stuff. That's what he wanted. He just wanted to be an outdoorsman. And he wasn't concerned about the continuing line that would come through him somehow if he had been the right one. But anyway, he despised his family. Isaac's family is full of dysfunction. We see that over and over again. But 
What do you learn about Esau's character in this story? We learn that Esau is a, uh, of somebody that is by his own desires. He's controlled by those desires, right? Uh, we, we learn that he despises his family. We learn that uh, he's the favorite of his dad, but that's not his own character. But certainly he, he was a partaker of, of this favor from his dad, and he took advantage of that. What do we learn about Jacob's character? Well, Jacob will do whatever it takes to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. From the holding on the heel all the way through, Jacob was always about pulling somebody down, tripping them up so that he could get ahead. Who's the better brother? Well, we know that Jacob's the better brother because he did understand this concept of Genesis 3.15. Go back to Genesis 3.15, that one day there would be a child who would be born and he would crush the serpent's head. And he understood that he was a part of the greater good somehow, some way. Now, that meant good stuff for him. He was going to be rich and wealthy and all those things, and he was going to be the head over Isaac's empire one day if he got the birthright and got all the things that would go to the oldest son typically. But he understood what the purpose was. What was Isaac's mistake in this passage? Well, Isaac chose to favoritism. That's it. Isaac had his favorite. That was Esau. And then we go to the second part of this question. What was Rebecca's mistake? Favoritism. She had a favorite. Now, Rebecca kind of had a reason to have a favorite. She understood that he was going to be the one who would lead their family. But still, they were, they were enamored with their own children. They were enamored with the one that they had chosen, whether it was Esau, whether it was Jacob. Now, talk about a little bit in verse 5 about what was birthright. Well, birthright is what the oldest child deserved. Jacob wanted it so badly because he wanted control. He wanted the birthright that Esau deserved because he was the oldest. So because of that, Esau gives up. And by the way, Jacob isn't any better than Esau. But Jacob does what he does. He does do the, he ends up with the right the right end uh, in mind, but he does it all wrong. The birthright was having what you deserved in a family and that you would be the leader of that family. So why was Esau so eager, eager to give up his birthright? Because he was driven by his hunger. He was driven by his desires. That word I, I used earlier, the, the concupiscence, evil concupiscence, the the the. The, the filthy desires that are deep within him, and, and he, would, he would be willing to do whatever it took to get his desires fulfilled. He wanted it so badly so he could have a full stomach. Number six, why was Esau so eager to give up his birthright? Um, I think that the whole reason was simply because he, um, and I think we just talked about that, uh, but he, he wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. It was all about the now. It was living for the moment. What does it mean that Esau despised his birthright? Typically, that means that he hated his family. He hated anything that had to do with his family. He followed his, his, his baser desires. And he said, I don't want my family anymore. And he did not treasure it like he was supposed to. That's what Esau did. He gave it up. How does this passage point us to the gospel of Jesus? Well, very simply. Jesus did not hate his birthright. <laughs> Jesus held on to his birthright. He didn't squander it away like Esau. 
And so what he did is he allows us to graciously share in the privilege of birthright to us, with, with every one of us. He is the firstborn of all creation, and everything belongs to him. That's how he works. And because everything belongs to him, we now share in the promises of God, including the promise of eternal life. That is the plan of God. And the plan of God from the very beginning was to bless you through his son, to give you what doesn't belong to you but belongs to him. And that's the free gift of God, of eternal life, to everyone who believes. All righty, let's apply the truth. Why is it dangerous to live for the moment? Well, when you live for the moment, obviously, you have no feelings for or no desire to care for eternity. You know, this carpe diem idea. When you live for the moment, you fail to consider how you are in the moment. These moments that you make at that time, these decisions, excuse me, that you make in that, that moment will affect your future. Why is it dangerous, number two, to follow your feelings? When we follow our feelings, our cravings, we are driven by how we feel, not what we do. Jeremiah 17, 9 is, is proof. The heart is deceitful. Why would we follow something inside of us? We're driven, and the goal is not to be driven by what's inside of us, but by who is inside of us, Jesus, as followers of Jesus. Number three, why should you, what should you do instead of following your feelings? What should you do? Well, the obvious answer is you seek God. You say, what does God have to say about how I feel? And that's what we fail to do so many times. We, we don't care what God thinks. What, you know, instead of saying, oh, I got to deal with this, I got to, I got to fulfill this lust in my life, this anger, this loneliness, this anxiety, this depression, whatever it is. Instead of saying, what, is God, what does God say about how I feel? What does he say about my lust? What does he say about my anger? What does he say about my loneliness, my anxiety, my depression? What does he say? Well, then we claim the promises of God, which we are reminded in 1 Corinthians, the promise of 2 Corinthians, the promises of God, yes and amen. So what should we do instead of following our feelings? I just said that. Ask how does God, uh, what does God say about how I feel? Number four, what is danger, why is it dangerous to have it your way? Well, when we have it our way, the bottom line is, is we don't deserve to have it our way. The one who does deserve it is God. God always deserves to have it his way. Look what he has done in Genesis he has taken messed up people like Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau and worked in their lives in such a way to bring the, about the salvation of the world. That's what happens when God has his way. We have our way. We mess everything up. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those TV shows, but uh, it comes to mind when um, Twilight Zone comes on or some, somebody gets all the wishes and they always wish wrong. It's exactly what happens. When we do our desires, our wishes, the way we want it, it always messes up our life. That's why it's dangerous to have it your way. Okay, what do you think God is calling you to do in response to Genesis 25, 19 to 37? Well, some of you just need to say, I need to quit acting foolish. I need to, I need to quit having it my way. I need to stop my feelings. I need, to, I need to quit living for the moment and you know live for eternity. Whatever it is, everybody in your life connection group is going to have to come to a conclusion. Is this something that they want in their life? Do they want to live like a fool or do they want to live as one who honors and follows God. So that means that we pray over these things. We say, okay, God, if that is the case, then how are we going to live this out? How are we going to live this out?
As the songwriter reminds us, everybody plays the fool sometimes. Well, today we're going to be talking about a man named Esau, the brother of Jacob and also the son of Isaac, who was born first and did just about everything he could possibly do wrong. And as we study that, we're going to find out that sometimes you and I can play the fool as well. <laughs> 